you're listening to the Flip My Funnel podcast, a daily podcast dedicated to helping B2B marketing, sales, and customer success professionals become masters of their craft. It's Monday, and in these episodes, you'll hear Sangram interview incredible practitioners, thought leaders, and entrepreneurs within our community. And like Sangram always says, without a community, you are simply a commodity. Here we go. I'll let you, uh, let everybody kind of jump in. I see some new faces like Joe, Romina, uh, Christina, folks. I could just jump in to ask questions because we will we'll wait for Julie, who is, we were actually going to have more of like Mark and Julie conversation around their journeys and things like that. But this might be even like deeper, like, you know, this is, this is our, your chance to just drop in, ask questions that you probably never asked from whatever like compensation to like how do you get into that like that kind of role so i'll let let you guys rip actually compensation is a great topic so i hope someone does want to talk about that because there's some new models that are coming along that are going to be awesome for high performers right um uh, so yeah if you want to talk about that that's a great one well yeah speaking of compensation so uh how do you between the CFO, CIO, CTO, CHRO, CMO, uh, do you keep them all pretty much on the same plane or are, you know, like Jimmy Johnson used to say, all men are created equal, but some are more equal than others. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, no. So, um, so uh, we were talking earlier, uh, Judd and I were talking earlier, um, about the use of analytics, right? And the use of regression. Uh, and this is, this is all about uh, finding out uh, or, or creating sort of a, a triage, right? It's a, it's a list of factors that are driving a particular outcome, right? Uh, and, and it's stack ranked, right? And, and it's also dynamic, right? It changes all the time. Uh, and it certainly changes based on the time horizon that you're looking at. This, uh, as it pertains to your question, right, um, what we see more and more of, and this is actually what we do in, inside of Proof as well, is that um, we are doing role-based attribution um, on countless different outcomes, right? And so people are certainly receive, you know, a, a base, uh, right? They, they receive short-term uh, performance-based compensation based upon the attainment of certain KPIs. So this is, or, or OKRs, uh, and this, uh, this uh, among other things, establishes the fact that you have to have measurements of stuff, right? Uh, because if, if for no other reason, it's the data, it's the measurement that feeds the analytic, right? So then the cause and the effect analysis, which is the regression, um, computes uh, and predicts longer-term value creation based on different scenarios and, and gives a target and then shows attainment against that target uh, across multiple time horizons. And that is the way that longer-term uh, performance compensation is awarded, whether that's cash or whether that's equity or whatever, right? So, the same thing is actually we're seeing starting to evolve in SIs. So this would be like Accenture and Deloitte and companies like that, as well as some agencies, right, where they're essentially uh, really relying on analytics to establish the targeted arc 
uh, of performance against a particular outcome in the future, and then to govern it as well. And so to put a fine point on it and to kind of put the cherry on top re relative to your question, what, uh, what happens is, is that you're able to see that on any given topic, the combination of roles and, and organizations um, varies, right? And so it's sort of like, it's not a perfect analogy, but if you've ever been a part of team selling, where the commission is ultimately apportioned based upon some sort of real or perceived relative contribution to the deal, right? It's actually very much like that, except in, in, in our particular case and in the cases of these other companies that I'm thinking of, it's uh, computed, right? It's not back of the napkin. It's not the manager going, yeah, I think you did about a third and this guy did about 20% and so on and so forth. It's, it's actually computed, right? And so that's, uh, that's how we, we see it. That's how we run it. That's how um, I think the whole, that whole piece is going. I was actually, I think, I, I can't say this for a fact, but I've never found anyone else. I think I may have been the first CMO, certainly in enterprise B2B, um, that, and this is at Honeywell, that was compensated in that, in that way, right? Uh, and I actually negotiated a lower base for myself in order to get a, a, a wider variable. And, and actually the truth is um, we did so well on that, that, um, that it actually made me the, uh, it, it gave me the financial wherewithal to get started with proof. Right. So, I mean, it, it was, so that, that it just goes to show you at all, there's a ripple effect in everything that we say and do. And that's how, that's how it worked in this particular case. Well, the, 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 bait, the, the point that I think maybe we need to underscore on that one is uh, that it's, it was, so it, it is a lot of times we just take things for the face value of whatever is offered to us in jobs in general. Uh, but everything is negotiable. Uh, it is not something that just because you're offered a salary with no equity, doesn't mean that's what you need to take. That's a starting point. And it took me maybe maybe almost a, a decade to recognize that that's actually what it is. It's like, you know, I thought that was it. Like there's, that's the end of it. Or maybe I could just go a couple of points here and there. But no, I think the more you know, the more, the better it gets. And I know that in this community, uh, as in when any of you guys, a lot of folks are looking for jobs or getting a new job offer. The economy in that sense is doing well. Make sure you kind of reach out to some of your peers and talk through stuff. Like, you know, Judd is great at this. Um, he sees this every day happening in it. There are tons of CMOs like Clint would be amazing. Jay has seen this. Lisa is hiring. And so she knows how all this works. So a lot of really cool people in this community who do this and do this well and can give pointers. But uh, it took me a while to, to recognize that every thing is negotiable if, if you're willing, if you know what you want. Uh, but Anna, Joe, you had a question, so go, go for it. I, I got something. So, so yeah. I know a lot of people have this question too. We see this a lot. We talk about high performers and like you just kind of stated creating the structure for high performers. Well, a lot of people don't even know how would you define high performer coming from a CEO perspective? And then what are the variables you're looking for 
mm-hmm. and the things that you're going to measure against to prove out that they are a high performer? That's a that's a great question. So I think that that uh, for a CEO, and I think this is also true, you know, for a, a CMO, anyone in leadership, right, regardless of function, right, is looking to have reasons to have confidence and trust in a person or a team, right? Um, part of this is intangible, right? Uh, and, and it's the, essentially the way I would sum it up is do you keep your promises, right? Do you keep your word, right? Um, but beyond that, right, this is where, and this also goes back to the earlier question, this is where analytics, measurement and analytics are absolutely positively without question, the backbone of everything, right? Because what I care about as a CEO is what is, at the end of the day, what is your contribution to the business, to the things that the business absolutely has to have in order to move forward? Revenue, margin, cash flow, right? Everything else, which is also super important, right? So like culture, for example, super important. But one of the reasons why culture is super important is that it adds, it, it's, it, it performs like grease on the gears of an organization, right? It, it establishes trust and confidence between people. It makes the operations work more smoothly. It makes reaction time faster. It makes decisions better, right? All that kind of stuff. That's why culture is so important. And that's how culture monetizes. It's like brand on the outside, right? So I gave a, I gave a presentation on a two or three years ago um, on stage at South by that was called gears and grease. And it was about brand marketing and performance marketing and the relationship between the two. Um, and there it's a both and, and everybody kind of knew this, but nobody had ever actually seen the data and the, and the analytics around it and showing the relationship of how brand actually, it, it certainly performs at the top of the funnel around awareness. Okay. But confidence and trust, those two pieces of brand are highly operative, even determinate in the bottom 50% of the funnel or the customer journey, if you want to put it that way, right? Uh, Because guess what the customer is doing during that bottom 50%? It's all risk mitigation and due diligence. And, And what risks are they mitigating? They're mitigating the risks that you as the vendor present to them, right? That's why they spend a lot of time talking to other people in conversations that you don't control, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera, right? And so this is all kind of the way this works. So at the end of the day, the way that I, I don't believe, I believe that some things are harder to measure than others, but everything monetizes, everything has an effect, positive or negative. And so I'm looking for that in people and I'm looking for ways to understand that, hence the analytics, right? And so, for example, to Sangram's point about comp, right? If I had not had a mathematical model, an Uber model, it actually is a collection of models, right? Ready to go at Honeywell, 
which is actually the reason why I think I was recruited into that role was that it was known that I had done this uh, at BMC. Um, that was the, that was the basis. That was the, that was the North star of those budget of those budget negotiations and that comp negotiation because Honeywell and me both wanted surety that there was going to be a, an objective way to figure out what I was owed or in the case of budget, how much should they really be spending on marketing, right? Where are we on the S curve net of all these external factors, right? Over which we have no control should, you know, COVID is hit. So that means everything that we're, we have been doing probably doesn't have the same efficacy as it did before. Um, does that mean we need to spend more money? Does that mean that we need to collapse certain things that we've been doing and put that money into other places? What does that look like, right? Because nobody is just going to be brain dead about this and just say, well, you know, we just have to cut, right? Everyone's going to say, hey, if you can show me that we still have a lot of upside here, I'll invest more, right? I'll, I'd be stupid if to not do that. Um, same thing with negotiations, same thing with, with on, on salary, right. Or comp, right. Same thing on performance reviews, all these kinds of things ride the integrity of them rides on analytics. Um, and, and just look at how many times we've all, you know, when we don't have analytics, okay. Everything is political. Everything, right. Your performance review is in some degree governed by, does your boss really like you or not, <laughs> right? This is, this is one of the reasons why people will say, more than a great company, pick a great boss that's really gonna be behind you because it's gonna have a disproportionate impact on your success. That is absolutely true. That is true with and without analytics, by the way, right? But if you're naked on the analytics side, you're totally in that place. 100%. So that's could, my could, could you then boil it down to say that when you're looking for, let's say, a new CMO, you're going to look, they know their numbers backwards and forwards and can demonstrate what they've done and how it would affect and be brought to you. Yeah, no. So, so actually, there's a great HR phrase that I have, I have totally pirated in this context. So uh, CHROs love to talk about and, and recruiters talk about T-shaped talent, right? That's exactly what we're looking for in CMOs and in other top leaders, right? I mean, and so the T, the vertical part of the T is deep domain or, or functional understanding, right? A lot of understanding, a lot of experience. This piece is context. This is the business, right? And the intersection here is super important. And sometimes you run into people who have the T, the, the horizontal with multiple verticals, right? And those are amazing. And like whenever I stumble into one, if I can figure out a way to get them on our team, even part-time, I will, I will do that, right? I'll get them as an advisor or I'll, you know, whatever it is, right? Because they're also a polymath, almost for sure. Right. So a polymath is somebody. So we all have. So we all have intuition. Right. And intuition is sort of like a personal private machine learning. It's all about 
pattern recognition across our lives. But we tend to be a normal human being on this regard, tends in this regard, tends to be pretty basic, right? The patterns are kind of one for one, right? Very kind of not exactly complex. A, a polymath, Leonardo da Vinci is an archetype of a polymath, right? Has deep experience across multiple seemingly unrelated areas. And they also combine them in ways that people, normal people, wouldn't see, right? Wouldn't leverage. That's a polymath. And so typically when you see strong horizontal, multiple verticals coming down, that's a polymath. I mean, you can almost guarantee it. Um, and Mark, so that's, that's a muscle you can flex that you can build and grow, or does that you either have it or you don't? No, that is absolutely something that you can grow. That's I'm so glad you asked that question because I think the last impression I would ever want to give anybody is that we are somehow, you know, that the, the, the die is cast, you know, on day one of our birth, right? And we're, we are what we are and that's just it. That That's not the case. Um, I don't think that I am a natural polymath. But I do believe that I have acquired certain polymathic skills, right? Mainly because I think over time I've just I'm interested in so many different things, and then I started to see some, you know, kind of rudimentary patterns uh, and intersections between some of these, right? Uh, and and so it accounted for some of my success, right? But I I certainly don't think of myself as Leonardo, right? <laughs> So for you, that would be taking that finance class early on, taking the sales course early on and learning those things, or would that be more of the top T uh, section? Well, it's that top T that ties it all together. Yeah. Right? So if all you have is a bunch of verticals and you don't have this piece up here, right? You're just totally siloed, right? That, what that means is you're probably going to have a circle of friends that you talk or colleagues that you talk about this vertical with and another one with this vertical and none of these groups share any members. Whereas if you have the strong horizontal piece, right, your groups are actually on the horizontal and in the verticals and you're combining them, you're actively combining them. Right. So, for example, this is just happens to be what I do a lot of. And it's it's uh, also a lot of fun for me. But I started reading probably, I don't know, 15 years ago about the fact that Thomas Jefferson, both before he was president and after and during his, his presidency, would have uh, dinners that he called Jeffersonian dinners. And they were all about a large meta subject. Right. And he would curate the participants of the dinner. And they were basically all there as archetypes of different points of view. Uh, and they were there pretty much solely to educate him. So he never voiced his point of view. He was almost like a spectator. And he, you know, had great food and great wine, Chateau Lafitte and all this kind of stuff, right? Um, but it was, it was all about that synergistic or polymathic understanding of something. And it and it is it's an absolute blast. I mean, every single time that I do it, um, I just and and one of the hardest things for me is to shut up because 
I really like to participate in those kinds of things, but I've learned to shut up so that I can really listen because I, I will always have major gaps filled in in my knowledge. That's so really if you, if you like that, if you want it, that's a really painless way of, of kind of adding to it. And it's a lot of fun. And certainly, at, you know, after about the third or fourth bottle of wine, the opinions get even more interesting and accentuated. That's awesome. Um, about, I got to know. So prioritization, you come in on Monday, you have your OKRs, you have what the board's saying, you have what your team's saying, there's probably a fire here or there. <laughs> how, do you, how do you direct your attention? How do you pick what, what you're going to spend your day doing? So that's a really great question because one of the biggest differences between my life before proof and, and my life at proof and in proof is that proof is a startup, right? Now, I mean, we're a scale up now, but the debt, the, the, there's an old saying that's really true about that whole space. And that is you're always in trouble unless you're dead. Right. So there's always a fire. There's always a fire. Um, and you have to become really disciplined and it doesn't happen overnight about how you deal with those fires relative to your plan for the day, the stuff that you had already decided was really important. Um, and this is where the quality of the team that you have becomes super important. Um, because I don't care who you are, you can't do all things at once. You can't handle all things. It's just not going to work. Right. Um, doesn't work for me. And it, it didn't work for me when I was a CMO either. Right. Um, so the people on your team is really, really key. Um, I, I would say that, that, you know, it's, it's sort of like, uh, um, so in a prior life I had, um, so I've never served in the military, but I, my first, uh, entrepreneurial experience was, um, I, I created a defense contracting company that had a specialized technology that put me into field exercises, large scale field exercises with militaries around the world. And I had the usually kind of like the assimilated civilianized rank of major, uh, and I dressed like them and I did what they did a lot of times and all that kind of stuff. Um, you prioritize the things that have the most immediate chance of killing you, right? So um, if you all of a sudden have a situation pop up and it's not what you planned on doing, but if you don't solve it in the next 48 hours, you know, the company's going to have a really big problem, right? Then you pretty much restack and that's your priority right uh and then you have to tell everybody else hey i need you to handle x y and z for me right if you don't do that second part by the way you become the problem right because you become a bottleneck at that point right so you've got to always my main goal is i want to lead and i certainly i have authority in the situation but the days that where I am the bottleneck, okay, I am the person that's hurting proof, no one else. So I am always trying to get out of the way. Always, right? Uh, I build redundancy 
into situations, not only because it makes a certain amount of sense, but also if, if I'm not available all of a sudden for whatever reason, including fighting a fire, I don't want people sitting around going, well, crap, you know, um, I can't do anything until Mark says yay or nay. To me, that sounds like a process piece. Like, are you putting in those redundancies as processes or talking through how to, what do those redundancies look like? I think that in a larger organization, right? Uh, so like Honeywell, right? It would take the form of a lot of documented processes. I think that that there is some of that at Proof, obviously, but we're also a small enough team where this is more about culture and understanding and empowerment, right? Um, it's about saying, you know what? You have the right to make this decision if you need to. Uh, we mm -hmm. want you to make the very best decision that you possibly can. Um, but if you happen to make the wrong one, we're not going to shoot you for it. Now, you know, if, if, if you end up making five really bad decisions in a row, then we might have to have a different conversation. Right. But, but, um, but that's, 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 uh, that's the grace for lack of a better way of putting it that is so important in organizations. You, you will not have trust between people who do not show grace to each other in, in, in hard times or in times where somebody made the bad call, right? Um, you'll get a very unhealthy dynamic, which is sort of like cover your ass dynamic, right? Um, and so gr people who show grace to each other uh, it's not a word that's actually used a whole lot when we talk about corporate culture, but it actually is. It's what we all want when we've made a mistake. We want people to show grace to us. And that's, uh, I think that's really key. Um, I have to model that, right? If I don't model that actively, like pretty much all the time, um, no one else is going to take it seriously. No one else is going to model it either. And Mark, that kind of feeds into my question. Since you're an ex-CMO, do you think that you are harder on them or more understanding? Because I've always taught my team, if you don't fail every once in a while, you're not trying hard enough. You're not trying everything that you can out there. So sometimes sales is not forgiving. Sometimes the CFO sees that as a great opportunity to twist the blade and cut your budget. So. No, it's true. I, I, so the way I would answer that question is to say that I think that particularly in the first, say, two to three years of proof, right, um, any marketer who worked for me was, was probably not having the best time, right? Um, not because I was micromanaging them but because I had such high standards and I knew what good and great looked like. Right. Um, and so I, and I was, I was sort of unstinting in my uh, communication about that. Um, at some point I had to realize that I was no longer a CMO. And that even though in a, in one sense, the CEO is sort of like the super CMO, Right. I mean, we are we we are in many cases the face of the company to a lot of people, not everyone, but a, a lot of people. Um, we, you know, certainly, you know, like I, you know, 
they bring me in on big deals at the very end to do what CEOs do in those situations, right? Um, I, but I had to say to myself, Mark, you are not the CMO of Proof anymore, right? And you're here to hold whoever is the CMO accountable for certain goals and, and impacts based upon the analytics, based upon the KPIs. Um, your job is not to, um, you know, redraft copy, right? Because it, because you, it doesn't exactly meet your standard of copy, right? Um, and, and if that is a consistent problem, then you've got the wrong person writing copy. Okay. That'd be the other way of looking at it, but it's not my job to do that. Um, and so, and I, and I started remembering back, there was, I won't name names, but there were some CEOs in very large companies that I worked for that rewrote copy, right? Web page copy, press releases, all that kind of stuff, man. It, they wanted to see them and they were not shy about not only just editing, but in some cases, a wholesale rewrite of them, right? And I think that, you know, I hated that when that was being done to me. So why in the world would it be okay for me to do it to somebody else? So that is, that's kind of where I am on it. Um, so I, I, I think that today I, um, I, I think the marketing team at proof says, you know what, I can, I can always call Mark and get a, a really solid point of view on a question that I have, but he's not going to prescribe anything to me and at the end of the day, the analytics are going to speak for themselves. One way or the other, one way or the other, right? Does that answer your question? Uh, yes, yes, pretty much. It's just that, um, I guess, do you earmark 10%, 15% of the marketing budget to be used specifically on experimentation to try to do new things, uh, knowing very well that it could fail? Um, I would say that that we do, but we we do it a little differently, right? Because you know we're using the our own analytics, right? So um, when we will always model something in advance and get a get a, a probabilistic cone um, of what this might engender into the future before we look at it, right? We'll model the S curve and see, okay, are we is that going to move us up the S curve or what is that going to do? Um, and then because this is all multivariable regression, right? We're able to see all of it in context. So these are not one-to-one -one relationships that are being calculated. They're, you know, many to one, right? Um, many being 10, probably. I mean, it's a misconception that there are somehow millions of parameters that impact uh, any given outcome. That is not true, whether you're talking about marketing or whether you're talking about climate change, right? Statistically, it's usually three. At most, it's five, right? So everything else would be like, you could compute it, but it would be minor, minor, minor uh, contribution to the outcome, statistically speaking. So so we will, so we, in some ways, we take a, a smaller risk when we do that, right? 
because we've already kind of assessed it up front. And I think that that's really, really important uh, to be able to do that, right? Because a lot of, on almost everything that marketing does, there is a time lag, right? Time lag can be weeks, it can be months, it can be many months. In aerospace, where I was last, right? Um, it was many, many months, particularly on brand type investments, right? This is actually one of the reasons why you get, it, 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 this issue of time lag does more to obscure cause and effect, the recognition, the I can see cause and effect, right? Than anything else, right? Because if you don't know where in the calendar to go look for it, if you haven't run the regression and seen the prediction and say, okay, it, it, this should all you know, be dropping on target right about here, how are you gonna find it when it happens? I mean, we did a project, I don't know, probably four years ago with the CMO council so this was a time period where, uh, for whatever reason, CMOs were losing their job at an incredible rate. You I mean, you probably remember this, this time. And their total average uh, tenure was shrinking dramatically. It went below two years uh, for a while. Um, we had access, or we were given access, to a basket of data for five companies that had recently uh, fired their, their CMO and um, wanted to basically see if that was justified or what happened, right? What was the role of time lag? So if you look at these were all enterprise B2B technology companies for the most part. Um, and what we found was, is that um, right about the time that they were being shown the door, their first investments were starting to pay off but nobody, you, the companies either missed that entirely or they misattributed it to something else. And as far as they were concerned, nothing had worked. But nobody had ever said to them, okay, you know what? I'm a new CMO. I'm going to come in. I'm going to do my, my three-month listing tour. And then I'm going to make some changes. And that's going to take me another three or four months. And then I'm going to start making investments in the new plan. And then, oh, wow, okay, so basically I'm out of runway already. If, if my timed impact or my time lag, right, is let, let's just say 12 to 14 months, then from the date that I start, not from the date that I started my job, but from the date that I started this new package of investments, I'm screwed, right? There's no way that I will look like a success. And as it turned out, right, four of the five shouldn't have been fired. But nobody, and in fact, one of them actually used, uh, I found out later they got a hold of the data and everything and used it in a, in a case uh, for, you know, more severance, right? Mm -hmm. But it was, uh, but that I think is really, really important, right? I mean, I think, uh, I think that there is an issue today in marketing, it is, is starting to really change post-COVID, right? But there's still an issue in marketing. And if you think it's bad in marketing, you ought to seek communications. It's really bad in that function where people are, are still afraid. They're very tentative about actually doing analytics, 
the real stuff, right? Now, in fairness, part of it is, is that it's been really, really hard to operationalize this stuff on a cost-effective, scalable basis uh, for basically the whole time that it's been around. But whether it's proof or some of our competitors, right, um, that problem is gone, right? I mean, it is gone. So it's time, whether you're a marketer or anything else, right, in a company to say, you know what, I, I, uh, the basis of everything, the backbone of everything um, that, that is me as a business leader who happens to specialize in marketing or something else, it all hinges on, the, on my ability to operationalize analytics and bring the analytics to bear in the conversations I have with other business leaders. Mark, for someone who doesn't have background in like knowing how to build these models and creating these analysis and coming up with that, okay, if we do this now, it might take X amount of time to pay off. Do you have resources or references that you would point to or even frameworks that have helped you? Sure. I mean, I, I, uh, I, I <laughs> uh, so the data scientists that I speak with on a regular basis get a pretty good chuckle um, uh, that, that, that I, I can actually have a reasonably intelligent conversation today, but I also know where my, where the cliffs are. Right. I, I and I stay well away from them. Um, the reality here though, is this, just like a lot of other things in tech that were the province of a specialist and that were very opaque to the non-specialist, automation and a better UX have transformed those areas. And the, and the use of analytics is gonna be no different. So for example, this is, this, I don't want this to turn into a sales pitch, so I'm gonna try and keep it real whatever, right? But proof, automates two personas, right? It automates the business user consumption of analytics, and it automates a very significant part of what the analyst has to do, thus simplifying the world of both dramatically, increasing the throughput dramatically, and basically disintermediating you, a person like you, in the best possible sense of the word right? So you're not ever going to have to learn all that stuff, right? You can if you want to, right? It will certainly enrich your life. That's my personal belief. Uh, but you, if, if your whole goal is totally pragmatic as a marketing leader or a business leader, and you just say, look, man, I don't have the time to learn how all this works, right? I just need the output so that I can make better decisions and my teams can make better decisions in a more timely way and da, 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 right? Then these tools um, are for you, right? And it minimizes the amount of analyst time. So you get incredible scalability. Um, I don't know how much you know about this or any of you know about this, but like historically you would go to a company like Nielsen and you would say, I want a marketing mix modeling effort. And they would say, great, it's going to cost you around $3 million to get started. And we're going to give you three models. And those models are going to be renewed. They're going to be recomputed uh, twice a year, maybe once a year. Right? So certainly not even remotely weekly or monthly. Um, that has that. So the accuracy on that has been phenomenal because they 
they do a really great job. But but operationalizing that has just been a very, very challenging experience. So when we and others automated this and sped it up dramatically and then strapped a brand new UX that is, well, Salesforce says that we did for analytics what Tableau did for data, right? Made it real friendly. Um, that's that's where the future is, right? Because you don't want to have to know all of it. You just want to be able to get the value from it. So that would be my answer to you, uh, whether it's about analytics or any other part of tech that is probably going to be automated in the not too distant future. It's the same drill. You think it's just worth outsourcing instead of trying to learn more about that instead of like diving more into your uh, specific marketing skill that you want to get good at? I think the the way that I talk to people about this a lot is that as a marketer, you have to understand your various hypotheses of value, right? Why am I doing what I'm doing? Why am I spending money the way I'm spending it? What is the end goal here that I think I'm contributing to, right? That then becomes a model, right? That That is a model. It's just a non-mathematical model, right? Uh, and so you take that hypothesis, that intellectual model, and you it's not all that difficult to translate that into a mathematical model and arm it with the necessary data. And then in our case, you hit compute. And because all the data flows are automated as well, every time there's new data introduced into it, it automatically triggers a new compute. And so you're just constantly looking at the latest uh, as opposed to a every six month or every year kind of annualized thing that's lumpy, right? So that is, that's the, that you have to, so, but part of this, right, is as a marketer is saying, I'm going to change the way I think, right? I'm not going to do zero-based budgeting anymore, right? Because that presumes that nothing has really changed, right? Except how I want to spend my money this year versus last year, right? What's the skew across all the different pieces? But maybe, right, COVID has happened and all of a sudden the whole equation has changed. And so zero base is a joke, right? I mean, it, so one of the big things that we see in the analytics is that if you want, if you want a real shocker, right? You look at the same company, 2018, 2019, 2020, first five months of 2021, right? You want to talk about an exercise in differentiation, right? You want to talk about, so all of us tend to operate based upon our experience, right? So if you were a CMO in, and, in, in, you know, COVID hits right about this time last year in a big way, right? So you start to think, wow, I, I probably need to do something. I probably need to do something different, right? But, but, you know, your last major disruption that you had to deal with was the 08, 09, 10 financial crisis. And so you're kind of modeling your response to some degree based upon that. And so that was more like a tweak on things, right? So you tweaked it. You tweaked 2019 into 2020 and you lost big, right? 
you lost big. You spent a lot of money that was poured down a rat hole, right? That delivered no value at all, right? Because it wasn't where people were anymore, physically or or digitally, right? Um, and and it probably it also probably wasn't the right message anymore either. And yeah. so the ability to to handle volatility and rapid change and iterate so-called agile marketing okay agile marketing without really robust analytics is chaos it's just total chaos so this is this is where we've seen a lot of acceleration in the demand signal for analytics in general right is uh, and Again, this is sort of like the sort of like the foundation on a house, right? The only reason why we're talking about analytics, the only reason why we would talk about the foundation on the house is if everybody was unclear about how important the foundation is to the rest of the house, right? As soon as everybody goes, yeah, we need a really strong foundation. That's non-negotiable. We're going to use best quality concrete. We're going to pour it the right way. We're going to do all this kind of stuff. And guess what? No one talks about it anymore. It disappears, right, into the warp and woof of building the house. The same thing should be true for analytics. It should be so pervasive that, that, that we don't even talk about it anymore. We talk about the output of it, right, but we don't talk about it. Yeah. All right. So let's uh, let's bring it home. I know we're we're right on time. This was a lot deeper conversation. I hope everybody got a feel for it and, and wanted to let it flow. Um, I know again, Marcus in the peak community, which is really cool because he passed the test of being a marketer, um, <laughs> even though he's a CEO. Uh, so we did we had him do a test, which is great. Uh, but he's very open, uh, as you all can see. He you know if you ever want to have a deeper conversation, hit him up. Uh, I'm sure he would be up for something like that. Uh, but that's the point of these Friday sessions is to get deep in a conversation and let all of you just rip at it and learn uh, from each other. So uh, I'll just encourage everybody to just put something out there in the peak community or LinkedIn. Like, what is the one thing you learned? Give a shout out to Mark for uh, what he did. Get get the word out. Um, invite someone that you think uh, might benefit from this, because this is something that I don't think you'll you get to hear in any other forum or any other conversation out there. So want to make sure that you just have the right people in it and the conversations are just as fluid as this. So Mark, again, thank you so much for being here. Uh, really appreciate you sharing it and very openly how all this works on your end. Eden, is there anything else I missed on that? No, I think you much uh, covered it. Guys, please go over to the recap. Let me know your thoughts and then we can all keep the flow going there. Um, thank you again so much for joining on this Friday morning and we will see you guys in the peak community. Yeah. Thanks guys. Thank you so much. Thank you. Thanks so much guys. Thanks Mark. Thank Thank you. Thanks Judd. You've been listening to the flip my funnel podcast to make sure that you never miss an episode, subscribe to the show in your favorite podcast player. If you have an iPhone, we'd love for you to open the Apple podcasts app and leave a review. Thank you so much for listening until next time.